Blog Talk Radio. Radio Inside Edition. Today is April the 7th. It's already uh, first quarter is over here for, um, actually more than the first quarter, first quarter is over here for 2018 already. Time is just flying by. I want to thank you all for listening, however, wherever, whenever you listen to the show. Of course, you want to go to iTunes, type in Suspense Radio, you'll find us, click on it. And then you can listen to whatever show you want, which would include, of course, this show will be on the cover inside um, Thrill Radio and the Story Blender. So make sure you get all four of those with uh, all the fantastic hosts and, and guests that, that we have there. We have something for everybody. So whatever you're interested in, there's, there, there's a show that you can listen to for everybody. We also want to remind you that we are brought to you by Kensington Books. So please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and their new releases. We're going to have some of their authors coming up. I'm very excited to get Kevin O'Brien's latest arc in the mail. I'm going to be reading that one, and I think that's coming out in October, so I'm sure we'll have him on the show. Kevin's always wonderful to talk to. also want to uh, alert you to a couple uh, a thing here that we just found. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that might be on going on Twitter, and you see um, – a lot of people tweeting about books and, and shouting out books and things to followers. Well, we found a great company, too, called Kalamat, C-A-L-U-M-E-T, editions.com. They also do that. Um, amazing e-books, amazing Kindle books, and it's great for an author to do. I mean, the promotion is not very expensive. You're able to get in front of a lot of people. Now, of course, there's no guarantee of sales, but it's a it's a great way to if you're not if you're on a budget in order to do marketing you know to try to reach as many people as possible um i would i would definitely make sure that you check them out you can follow them of course i think it's a, it's amazing ebooks amazing kindle books uh they got about four or five other twitter accounts that so when you uh sign up with them it goes to all of them and i want you want you to go and check that out we uh supposed to have three guests on today we're waiting on rob Leidinger to give us a call then we're going to have charles Salzburg, and we're going to finish it with K.J. Howe, who will be talking about um, her latest book, Skyjack. And Charles was going to be on, and he's going to be speaking about his latest book, Second Story Man. Um, but yeah, Rob should be joining us soon. But if he doesn't, I did have something planned anyway that um, I'd like to talk about. And the one thing that we noticed, first I'm going to start back, is there's a lot of authors I know and a lot of people who want to be authors, a lot of people trying to get sales as authors, and, and they really are kind of wondering, you know, like, why? Like, what's the secret? What's the secret to selling books? You know, we get emails all the time. We get people asking us all the time, you know, what's the secret to selling books? Well, the secret is you have to write a pretty goddamn good book. Um, people with – it's twofold today. When you have – 
so many opportunities for authors. It's wonderful to go out. You can publish your own book. You can get your own book out there. You know, very quickly, uh, Barnes and Noble just opened up a, a thing like like the Kindle to be able to go out there and they edit your book and do it. And there's a lot of companies that do that and they get you out there. So it's a very inexpensive way, you know, to write a book and to get it out there. The problem is, is getting people to buy it and getting people to, you know, review it and getting people to, you know, enjoy it and talk about it. And it all starts at the very beginning when a lot of people don't realize is it all starts with the editing process. And that is something that people don't want to go through because it's a painful process. It can be an expensive process. Don't want to go through it. Don't expect to have a long career. Don't expect to have, you know, big-time agents or big-time publishers wanting to pick you up and wanting to do, you know, your, you know to publish your book. Um, you know, you've heard on this show, we've had, I don't know, six, 700 different episodes of this show over the years. And the one thing that is always kind of in common with all these big authors from, you know, James Patterson to Jeffrey Deaver to Steve Barry to, you know, Lisa Gardner to, to all these authors that we have on here to listen to is they all tell you about their own editing process where it's, it's not a painful thing, but it's something that has to go on. It's something that has to be, uh, to be done regardless of who you are. You, you, you write your draft, you get your thing done, you send it to your agent, you send it to your publisher, then they write you back, and you got marks all over the place. And that can be a very discouraging thing for an, for an author who's not been through the process because you think that you've gone through everything and you think that you've spell-checked everything. I mean, we get short stories sent to us. Uh, you know, We get thousands of them sent to us every year. And it's amazing how people will misspell the query. And it's like if you haven't even taken the time to, you know, put your stuff in Word or whatever and have it spell-checked and read through it, have somebody else read through it because you're going to miss things and make sure that, you know, you've spelled things correctly, just on the onset, just, just spelling, okay? Just the easiest thing to do right is spelling uh, because you have things that will check your spelling. You have things that will, that will alert you if something's wrong and if you can't even do the most basic thing, then how are you supposed to do the most complicated thing, which is actually tell the story? So if you're not willing to kind of to go that route, you're not going to be a very successful author. Um, and that's just the, the one thing that I think a lot of young authors and a lot of up-and-coming authors don't realize. They get frustrated. They get rejection letters. And the rejection letters come back, and, and they're not going to give you a lot of pointers, rejection letters, because they haven't read your book. They've read maybe five to ten pages. They've realized you're making these mistakes. You're going to make these mistakes throughout. I mean, when we have authors that say, give us your first 30 pages, they're going to point out ten to twelve mistakes that you're making in those first 30 pages. And they don't have to read anymore because they know that those same ten to twelve mistakes that you're doing there are going to go all the way throughout the book. And that's then that then there's just letting you know that you have to hash the you got to get those first 30 pages done and if you take their advice and you work that all the way through the book you probably got 95 percent of your problems done now it's just a matter of fixing the five percent and there's little you know little things that that are off here and there um even in best-selling books you kind of see little things off here and there i i could point to the harry potter series where where you have things that were off you know here and there 
um, that just didn't make any sense and just people just browsed over because they just wanted to be entertained. I mean, they do it all the time. You know, DNA doesn't come back in 30 minutes. You know, fingerprints aren't always there right on the tip of your fingers. You know, the, the, there is a lot of technology, but when you watch CSI and you watch these shows, just like Doug and Jan told you on Crime and Science Radio, which you can go back and listen to all of those episodes and hear those experts, you know, crime labs are not that sophisticated. Um, you know, they're very underpaid, which is why, you, you know, you wonder and you're like, well, why does it take six months to get, you know, a toxicology report back on, on a, like, like Prince or, you know, um, uh, somebody like that who, who just passed away? And you're like, well, because it takes time because, you know, there's a lot of other cases, a lot of other things that they have to do, and it just doesn't work that quick. But when you're writing a book, of course, sometimes you have to do those things because you do have to be entertained. I mean, if you want to just sit there and, and read about forensics and, and how it actually goes, you know, there, there's textbooks and things to, to kind of do that for you. But if you want to be entertained in, in a fictional way, then, yeah, you have to stretch the truth. But can't stretch the truth in the, to the point of, yes, they can get DNA, and maybe they can't get it in 30 minutes, but you can't you know, stretch it to where they, things that they just really cannot do. Um, because that, it, it just, it just leads to, uh, you know, I, I mean, like I always say, and, and I, and I'd say one of the big things to me about series, which I'm not a, not a big series fan. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day, just, just outside and, and they were reading a book and we were talking about series and I was like, I'm not a big series fan. I said, and here's the thing, you know, I love the James Bond movies. I do. Um, you know, I just like to see how they are. But, but the one thing that I've never, ever been a fan of is, you know, you, you put the main character in the first ten minutes of the movie in this perilous situation where he's getting shot at or he's on the edge of a building and he's hanging from a cliff and you're like, oh, well, there's, for me there's no suspense because you know that he's not going to die and he's never going to die. He's, nothing's ever going to happen to him. Um, so I, I just, I always feel like it's a waste of time to do that unless you're just wanting to do just an action scene to just, you know, throw it around the screen and, and do whatever. But to me, that's just kind of a, it's just kind of a dump. It doesn't mean anything to me because I'm more about, you know, the story of who he has to go after and the, and the villains that he has to go after and, and those types of things. So I always kind of felt like that was just really boring to me and I never really care for it. So when I read these series and, um, you know, and, and the one thing that I find very, very interesting is like Jeffrey Deaver's book, The Cutting Edge, which I just read, and I'll get that review, but it was a very fabulous book. But Lincoln Rhyme is a little bit on a different side just because he's not hanging from a building. He's not going into a gun shootout. He's not going to be in a car chase, you know, where he's driving or whatnot. I mean, he's a paraplegic. Um, you know, Amelia would be more in those situations, but – I'd like the fact to know that, you know, I don't want, I don't need my hero in gun battles and, and things of those natures where it looks like they're not going to make it, but it, it, it just, it just doesn't do anything for me. I know 24 was a great TV show for the simple fact that everybody in there, except Jack Bauer, everybody in there, you didn't know if they were going to make it out alive or not because they would kill you off, you know, in, in two seconds. Um, and it was shows like that that really did have a, a level of suspense because you didn't know who was going to make it. And, and, that's, and that's what I liked about it. So when you're writing a book 
and you're putting those things in, when those are like the the five to ten percent part of it that the great ones pay attention to and the other ones don't. And what I mean by paying attention to it is when you're at the end of the book, if you know it's a series, you know you're going to have a couple loose ends that you hope will be extended into the next one. But most everything should be wrapped up together. But a lot of the times young authors will start writing a thread and then get another idea and start writing another thread and then write another thread. And then they kind of forget that they need to go back and kind of clean that stuff up or how does it interact or how does it work and how does it come together. And so then you're sitting there and you're like, um, whatever happened to such and such and whatever happened to that, whatever happened to that. And you kind of start losing focus because when a reader's mind starts, when my, especially my mind, when my mind is in a book and I start to wander and I'm like, wait a second, whatever happened to such and such or whatever happened, why did, you know, and, and then I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense from what happened back there, you know, like 50 pages ago. And, and now it's this, it's like, well, what, how did it get from point A to point B? That's when I start losing focus into the book, um, and that's when I'm like, yeah, you can tell that it's an amateur writer because, you know, professional writers take their time, and then they go back through, and they edit their books, and then they realize, oh, shoot, you know, I have something here that needs to go here. Um, Boyd Morrison talked, we talked at length, great length to him many times about writing, and you know, there's many times he would write his book and he would kind of go all the way through and then he would be like, wait a second, chapter four should really be chapter one or I should take this and move it to the end or I should move this, you know, back and forth because it makes more sense. And, you know, he was never stuck on himself saying, no, it has to be this way or this way. You know, he would make the adjustment and, and, and it would lend, and end up being like a better book. Um, and so... Those are the things that you kind of have to do, and you have to be able to take the criticism from somebody who's in the business, somebody who knows what they're talking about, somebody who sold thousands of books, read thousands of books, published thousands of books, and and realize, no, this is this is what makes a book a seller, or this is why it's not going to sell. And with so many books out there on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Smashwords and other sites uh, and you can have your spend hours trying to find something um, the one thing that you uh, have is that you have to get above the fray and as an author you have to get above all that noise to try to get people to buy your books because I can't, you know, I got 20 bucks. Am I going to spend that 20 bucks on one great book or am I going to take a chance? Am I going to buy, you know, $10.99 books? Am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to kind of spend my money? Well, you know, I have to do research, whether it's, you know, seeing books on Twitter or whether it's, you know, seeing, um, you know, different reactions or other authors that recommend things to us and, and things like that, that I'll go ahead and spend my money on. Because, or, you know what, you're just going to spend your money on the author that you know is going to make you feel safe. Even though you kind of know that it's going to be about the same book that you read in the past, if you're reading a series, or if you're reading somebody like a standalone guy, you know, like a David Morrell writes a lot of standalones, Harlan Coben, you know, writes some standalones and, and things like that. But if you're going to get into, 
you know, the series authors, of the Clive Custlers, of the Lee Childs, of, um, you know, the Lisa Gardners, and you're going to feel comfortable because you kind of know what you're going to get in, in those books because you like those characters and, and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to spend my money here and that's what I'm going to do. You could be missing out on a lot of others. And there's a lot of other authors that will be like, how do I get those dollars over to me? And that's when you need to make sure that the book that you're writing is as polished as the book that you're reading, that you grew, that you bought, that you read from those authors. And there's a reason why there's, you know, there's a reason why they're the best-selling authors. You know, they didn't, they didn't start out that way. You know, they didn't come out with their first book and and like hit number one. They didn't come out. You know, that's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. I mean, even. Andy Weir with The Martian, who was so fabulous. I mean, that started off as, like, short stories and going forward, and then they put it into a book, and then it finally did it. But, you know, it took some time. You know, Anne Rice, it took some time. You know, we've interviewed her a dozen, a couple times, and she's talked about Interview with a Vampire. I need a drink. I only don't talk this much in a row, unless I'm at home talking to myself. Um, you know, and she said it was an underground thing, and it took like a year and a half, and she almost didn't write anymore, and then all of a sudden it finally took off, and then she did. So, you know, you have to be patient, um, and you just have to keep writing, and you have to not write to what you think people are going to buy. You have to write the best book that you want, that you have in you. Um, you know, we always say once you start chasing the trend, the trend is over. You know, if you're going to start writing. It, it, you know, whatever's trendy right now, by the time it comes out, the, the, the trend is over. Um, unless you're one of these top, you know, like government guys and that, you know, you're looking at, I think James, Comey, James Comey's book is coming out. He just got fired a year ago, and then all of a sudden he's written that book, it's been edited, and it's coming through the works, and it's going to get published. That never happens. Um, you know, that is a very, very, very quick turnaround. You know, you have authors, like we're going to interview today, you know, and we'll just, I'll just take K.J. Howe. You know, her book, Skyjack, is coming out soon. But I guarantee you, first of all, that book was already done a while ago. She's already working on the next one, which won't be out for another year. And I bet you if I ask her right now, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm working on book three right now. Because that's, gonna, that's the process. That's how long those things take, you know, to get done. But when they want to get them done fast – you know, they have the ability to do that, too, if you're with a big publisher. But a lot of memoirs and a lot of books, you know, that, of course, it takes a lot of time to, to get those things out. So if you're writing for the trends, you've already passed it. It's already, it's, it's already passed you. You're, you're not going to be able to, to catch that wave. So you need to start maybe creating your own characters and your own trend and your own um, ideas. But editing is the number one thing that you need to do. And writing, if you want to be an author to make money, that means making money is a business. And to have any successful business, you have to invest in yourself. Um, you have to invest in your product. You have to invest in making it better. Um, no matter what product you're starting up or what product you're inventing, money has to be included in it. And I know that when you start talking money, you're going to have a lot of people that you know, today's day and age, I mean, that's a lot of money to be putting out. Um, but if you don't do it, don't be expecting to go into your boss, quit your job, and say, I'm going to be a full-time writer, because that's not going to happen. 
If you do do it, not saying that it will happen either, but you have a much greater chance. So you have to try to find editors, and you can't say, oh, my mom edited my book, or my, or my you know, critique group edited my book, or my writer's group edited my book. No, they're not going to be hard on you because you know, they have to see you every week, and they're your friends, and, you know, you know, if, and humans are human. And if, if Bob reads your book and critiques it honestly, but is kind of cruel and this and that, and then you read his, you know, there could be a little revenge factor back into that. And um, that's, that's not helpful either. But you need to find an editor that will not care about your feelings and tell you the straight truth, but give you the constructive criticism, constructive criticism on the straight truth that will help you out in the future. Um, and that's what it's going to take. So when your mom does it, you know, and it's like, oh, my mom thinks I'm a great writer. That's the American Idol shit talking. Oh, my mom thinks I'm a wonderful singer. Yeah, well, you're not. You know, you're, you're not. You need other people to tell you that you have a good voice or you have a good writing style and you have good stories because then you know that you're on the right track. Mommy's always going to tell you you're the greatest at everything and you're the most beautiful person at everything and, and, and this and that. And that's what their job is to do is to keep you pumped up and to keep you going. But you need to have the real people get into you, tell you the story, and, and tell you what's going on. So make sure you edit. And if you're going to send a short story, just please make sure there's no spelling errors because I will tell you right now that when our review team reads those uh, submissions – and there's a spelling error in the query letter, they're almost done. They might not even read it. Sometimes I get emails back to me because the emails come to me first and I send it over to the review team. And then they'll email back and they'll be like, yeah, I just found two spelling errors in the query letter. I didn't read the story. And I'm like, I get you. Um, because you're not even paying attention. You know, you're not paying attention to details. Like you were so ready and you were so, and you just wanted to rush, rush, rush and get it done, done, done. I would rather wait a day than have it the, uh, you know, I would rather get it on Monday than get it on Sunday if it takes that time to just make sure that you just check the, like I said, just make sure you check the, the spelling of, of your words. Um, you know, because what do you think that an agent's going to do? I mean, as long as your stuff is spelled right. <laughs> I mean, at least they can get through it and not throw it away, like, right away. Now, you might have a bad plot or, you know, too much dumping at the beginning and, and not enough, you know, action or whatever you're kind of writing, whatever genre, it doesn't really hit there. But at least you spelled things right, you know? I mean, at least it was spelled right. At least you had grammar right. At least you had punctuation correct. You know, I'm a terrible punctuation person. You know, I'm not going to lie. I am. Um that's one thing that I always struggle with. You know, I always struggle with the, with, you know, with, with the damn comma and the freaking period. You know, the, the commas get me the most. Where, the, where, where do you put the damn commas and semicolons? I, I always had problems with, with stuff like that. But I work on them, and, I let, and, and, you know, and editors tell me, and, I don't, and they're like, oh, you need a comma here. You need to do this. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, because I know that's, you know that's my downfall. But when they sit there and they tell me, you know, oh, well, you know, this, this storyline is going this way and you've done this and this and that. That's when you kind of really have to start looking and, and you know, and you start looking really because that's like the part of, like, like that, that's your story. Like, that's your writing. That's when you really need to sit there and be like, you know, okay, really start looking at yourself and, and getting into it. But, 
you know, you can at least get someone to give you the commas and the spelling right before you send things in. You know, it's like, hey, you know, edit this for, you know, grammar. Make sure that I got that right. Um, because then when you get a copy editor to come in and then they start really, really tearing your book apart on the actual content of it, that's the harder part that you need to go back and fix because all of a sudden you might have something that happened at the end that was totally different than the beginning. Now you got to go back and you got to either fix the ending or you got to fix the beginning, but you got to do total rewrites. You know, Jeff Ayers, who, who's on the, you know, beyond the cover and hit, he's talked about his latest book, Galileo, where he got it back and he was like, Hey, he goes, it's like I almost had to rewrite the whole damn book, but that's good because it's going to make it a stronger book and it's going to make it better. And now it's going to get published and he got an agent. Um, and that's what it took. You know, I, I think he rewrote that thing 20 to 25 times before he finally got this thing done. So that was good. Um, but, you know, that's my biggest advice for everyone is to that, is to let you know about that, is to let you know how important that the editing process definitely is. Do not chimp on it. Do not... Um, you know, do not sit there and 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 cut corners on something like that. Um, make sure that that's the one thing that the, the one thing that you really do good. So we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna be back here with our guest. Uh, as I see him on the line right now, Charles, and then we will um, finish up uh, with KJ Howell. So make sure that you stay tuned, and we'll see you right back here in a second. And remember, if you have any questions or anything that you want to email on the subject I just talked about, you can always email editor at suspensemagazine.com. Um, and, you know, we'll help you out any way, shape, or form that we possibly can. Um, so please, you know, just email us, let us know, and, you know, we'll get to you. So in the meantime, here you go.
here after a break. We want to thank you all, of course, for joining us, however, wherever, whenever you uh, listen to us. Again, thank you so much for listening to us. You can always visit us at suspensemagazine.com. Uh, the latest issue is coming out here at the end of April. We had just put out, of course, our January-February issue, and so if you wanted that, let us know. We can send that over to you. It's been tweeted out, I don't know, by dozens and dozens of people, so it's out there to find if, if you want to find it, too. Um, Lifetime subscriptions are still 24 bucks. And you can get that. And if you're authors, we have very special author pricing for full-page ads in the magazine, uh, affordable for everybody. So if you, have any, if you want to know about that, just email editor at suspensemagazine.com, and we will let you know. I'm sure you'll be very surprised at how cheap uh, you know, an ad is in the magazine. But now we want to welcome our latest guest. We haven't had him on in a couple years uh, that I can remember. I remember talking to him about his book that came out, Devil in the Hole, and that was back in 2013. And it's always good to have you know somebody back that you know wants to come back, so we didn't scare him away. That's a good thing. But hey, Charles Salzberg is here, and we're going to be talking about his latest book called Second Story Man. So Charles, thanks so much for coming on again. How you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. And thanks for coming back. I guess I didn't scare you off that bad. Um, so that's a good thing. But I do remember we were talking about the book. Um, Devil in the Hole, and that came out in 2013. So has it been five years, or have we talked in between then? Uh, I think it has, and, and it's funny, John, because uh, I have to thank you guys. You actually chose that book as one of the uh, best crime novels of the year. And oh. there's actually a connection between that book and Second Story Man, because I borrowed or stole, hence how you want yeah. to see it, two, two characters from that book are um, two of the three main characters in uh, second story man oh well that's okay so 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 let's do this so tell us what you got going on in second story man and then let's kind of you know talk about the connection stuff uh okay great well second story man refers to uh it actually has a couple of meanings but this book is about a master burglar named francis hoyt who is pursued by um two people one of them is a former state a connecticut state investigator and the other is a uh, recently suspended uh, Cuban-American Miami police detective. And um, they are, the, the book is told in, from three points of view. So the chapters alternate between the three main characters. And um, the, the title comes from, of course, Second Story Man is a, a way of talking about a burglar. And um, all three of these characters are, are kind of in a second story in their life. So there was that kind of dual meaning, and it's really kind of a cat and mouse. I mean, I didn't think of this when I when I wrote it, John. But a couple of the reviews that have come out, and they've all been, I'm really happy they've been really good. Have compared it to the movie Heat. Um, oh, okay, with, uh, I know that movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I did not think of that at all while I was writing the book. But once they mention that, I can I can see the uh, the connection because it is this cat and mouse game because this guy Hoyt believes, and he probably is, that he's the best thief in the world. And um, he's actually based on two real-life um, burglars. One was called the Silver Thief, who was never caught in the act, and he just stole high-end silver. And the other one was uh, called the Dinnertime Bandit, because he only hit 
in the evenings during dinner time when he knew the people would be home and he knew the jewelries, the valuables would be home. And so while they were eating on the main floor, he was climbing up to the second floor of the houses and stealing um, their valuables. And so I took those two um, burglars, thieves, and put them together and created this, this one, Francis Hoyt. Very cool. And so when you, you know, as you kind of progress through, because, you know, Devil in the Hole was your first book back in, in 2013, and now you're looking at, you know, five years later and, 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 and more books under your belt, how has kind of Charles Salzburg kind of progressed, I guess you want to say, as a writer um, in, in some way and in, in look, looking forward into your career now? Well, it's a good question because I never thought of myself as a crime writer. The, the first novel that I published was called Swan's Last Song, and it was supposed to be a, a one-off. There was never supposed to be another, not only another Swan, but another crime book. I, I had no intention of writing uh, in, in that vein. But the book, much to my surprise, was nominated for a Seamus Award for Best First Novel. And when I lost, which I thought was probably inevitable, I got really pissed off. And I said, I'm going to keep <laughs> writing until I win something. And, and, and what I did was I found that um, I loved writing crime novels because I could write about anything I wanted. I, I decided on, early on that I was not going to write murder mysteries. So they, they didn't really interest me. But all other kinds of crimes, even small crimes, did interest me because it has to do with the human condition. And so um, uh, suddenly I found myself as a crime writer. And now I think this is my seventh um, crime book, uh, and I've got uh, another uh, another one coming out in September, which is actually a novella. It's part of a collection, and then I'm working on the fifth Swan. So um, it, it really was an accident, uh, but I love the community, and I I really do like I like watching and reading crime novels, uh, watching movies, and so I'm doing what I you know what I was meant to do, I guess. Yeah, give us a little more, imp- uh, you know. Um give us a little bit more insight into, you know, into the character uh, in Second Story Man, you know, uh, about the, you know, kind of like the creation. I mean, how, I mean, how, when you were first deciding to kind of write this, was it more character? Was it more plot? What was kind of more in your mind, you know, with the book and the creation at the infancy stage? Well, plot never enters into it in the beginning for me. I, I have no idea. I'm one of those writers who doesn't know not only what's going to happen on the next page, but the next sentence. Um, for me, it's all about character and, I, and an idea. And this book is really, uh, for me, uh, it, it hit me that I could use the, this, this uh, concept of a master burglar who's incredibly arrogant. He believes he's the best ever, and he's out to prove it. And, and up to the point of, of where this book starts, he has been the best ever. Uh, he you know, has never been caught except for once, which wasn't his fault. And um, he, he is, he, he's so arrogant that he believes that he never will be caught. And so here are these two guys who start chasing him, and he, after a while, knows that they're after him, so he begins to taunt them. Uh, so it, it's this, um, this, this kind of symbiotic relationship, and, and the investigator, whose name is Charlie Floyd, is kind of the opposite side of the coin. He's, he is just as obsessive and just as arrogant as um, Hoyt is. And so you've got these two guys pinned against each other, and you've got um, this, this Cuban-American uh, police detective, Manny Perez, 
who has also been uh, after Hoyt for quite a while. So for me, it, 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 the plot evolves from, from the characters. But, but I really, this book really is about something else. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. about um, what I perceive as, uh, as the American obsession with winning. And, and being a winner. Oh God! Yeah, without a doubt, that is that is that is, that is so bad in people's minds today. It's so horrid. So yeah, I get you. Yeah. So so for instance, even our, our television shows, every reality show is a contest. There's got to yep. be a winner. Or you can't just turn on the cameras and watch someone you know live. Someone's got to come out on top. You know, someone. You know, it, everyone's got to be sent off the island until one person wins. And so that's right. really what I'm thinking about while I was writing this book: is what are the, the consequences of this having to be a winner and, and having to be the best? And so that's when I started the book. That was in my mind as the idea. As far as the plot was concerned, I knew there would be this guy who would be arrogant and who be the best, and I knew there were going to be two guys chasing him, but I didn't know how the plot was going to progress. And, and the thing about Hoyt is that in the, um, he's such a, a consummate professional. In the winter, he goes down to Florida and, and plies his trade down there because that's where all the money is. And then when it starts to get warm, he comes back up north. So the New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Connecticut area, because the people from down south with money are back up here. And so the book begins just as he's leaving Miami to come north for the new season. Hmm. And I didn't know anything else before that except that I was going to go forward with him and have this contest between the three men. You know, and, and that's a great point, too, that you brought up about the winning in society and, and, and weaving that into your book because it is such a – horrid addiction right now i think because and then the but the other thing that that like you mentioned those reality shows it's about the winning but the the other thing that it's about it's almost about the and i don't I'm trying to find the right word it's not really the shaming but it's like the big production that they do over kicking off the loser right it's it's, and the, it's like it's, you have to win you have to annihilate your um yes headed. yes and you have to do it in this glorious way you know um, as uh, you know, as as Trump said, you know, you're fired, and then you know you had you know Gordon Ramsay, you know, take off your ace brand, and then you had you know like Top Chef, you know, pack your knives and go, and then you know it's like it's all these taglines now on all these shows to eliminate someone from the competition in this very um, uh, I guess productive way, and it, it's really a sad thing to see. But yeah, I get you know everybody is so obsessed with with winning, but what they don't understand is that there's also people that are losing. And it's like, you know, yeah, you're getting yours, you're doing your thing, but, you know, there's also people that are losing. And, and the one thing that I always find funny is, I, you know, I watch a lot of sporting events all the time. And, and the one thing that you always hear a lot of is, you know, you have athletes that get on there and they win a game and they're like, you know, I just want to thank God for winning, you know, giving me this win. And I'm like, first of all, you never hear that from the losing people. Like, I just want to thank God for just giving me the opportunity to just come out here and play, even though I lost. They never say that. They always, yeah. they always thank it when they win, but they never mention it when they lose. And I always, I always found that funny. Like I don't think he has enough time to really care if if you made that basket. You know what I mean? Um, those kind of things. So I get it. And so for you to kind of bring that into into your book is something that 
is like an everyday thing that everybody can kind of relate to in that attitude. Um, and, and that's, and that's an applauding thing that, you know, for you to do, because that's something that is, is difficult in, in writing novels today. Yeah. And that's, and that's what makes it fun for me is to write about something. So all my books really are about something. Um, it just makes it easier for me to, to write that way. And, and why I, I really just don't write the traditional, um, locked door, uh, mysteries or something like that uh you know it's just it's it gives me pleasure to write those things yeah and in your character creation when you're thinking of villains or even when you're thinking of other heroes or you know then you got those neutral kind of characters in there are there certain personality traits that you always kind of you know that you want them to have uh how many times and i'll just double question how many times do characters surprise you when you kind of thought you had them going, you know, one way, and then all of a sudden, by the end of the book, you're like, okay, that's not how they were supposed to start out, and, but they sure did finish in a totally different manner. Yeah, it's funny you should ask that, John, because that was exactly what happened with this book. When I started it, I, was, I, I, I thought I would make the, the thief, Hoyt, um, relatable, and I thought that I would have the, the reader um, like him and, and almost want him to succeed. And as I wrote, the character ran away with me, and I realized that it was just the opposite. This guy was so obsessed with um, with winning, he would continually push the envelope and manipulate people to get what he wanted. So from someone who I thought was going to be um, relatable and um, you could empathize or sympathize with him, he turned out to be a, a very different character for me. So um, so you're right. I mean, sometimes you just you go into it thinking one thing, and you just follow the character, and it take, the character takes you someplace else. Yeah, I, and, and villains are always the most intriguing to me because I always feel like they're the ones who kind of drive the story along because they're the ones who cause the tension. And, of course, you know, when you're writing crime novels like yourself, you always have to have a lot of tension that, that goes on, and they're the ones that typically create the tension unless there's something going on with the hero and like a relationship thing or something in their past that they're trying to fight a demon with. But typically those aren't the things that are – going to kill them it might make them crazy in a way but those aren't the you know so when 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 you're constructing villains because they're very complex you know how what's kind of like the struggle for you having to kind of come up with somebody in each book to contend you know with your hero in a way that you know we know that they're probably not going to either survive or they're not going to get their much laid plans done but how is that dynamic for you having to create them um, it's 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 hard, much harder than creating a hero, and the reason is that that when you see a, a villain that doesn't work, it, it's a stereotype. And what people don't understand is that no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm going to do really bad things today. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a villain today. They're just being themselves, and it turns out that way. And so the the task for a writer is to create a realistic character where their evil comes out where they don't even know that they're evil. They, they are, there's another reason they're doing this, this thing. And I remember to, to, to harken back to Devil in the Hole, um, the, 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 the bad guy in it has killed his entire family, his wife, his three kids, his mother and the family dog, and he's escaped. And he's not a... And, and in the book, he only appears uh, four or five short chapters. Um, but... I was asked out um, to, to speak to a class, a college class out in Long Island um, after the book, and it was probably well after um, I did the radio show with you. 
And as soon as I got there, a young woman stood up and she said, you know, I'm really kind of ashamed about this, but I really started to feel sorry for the murderer. And I thought that's the <laughs> best thing he could ever say to me because I was trying to humanize him. Not He did a, committed a heinous crime and he was not a good guy, but that was my job is to make him human and relatable. And so I think that's the hardest thing with a, with a villain is to create a, an anti-stereotype where you can understand why they do what they do and not condone it. Yeah, I mean, very, very few times does somebody do something just because they're so batshit crazy. There's always a reason for them doing what they're doing. Now, the reasoning might be, you know, crazy to society standards, but it's still not crazy to them, and it makes sense to them. And that's the part that it's difficult for someone that's not thinking that way, like yourself and myself, but to have to create somebody that does think that way and make it, something that is not weird to them it's just acceptable to them like when you watch uh, i'll just say the movie seven and kevin spacey you know the things that he did and the way that he did them he was you know you could see at the end of his monologue when he was talking at the end of the movie this all made sense to him and he was like and everyone is going to get this i don't know why what are you talking about like i'm not crazy i'm not insane everybody's going to understand exactly what i'm doing but that's just his mentality, and that's something that an author has to get out to you know, the, the reader that, no, he's not batshit crazy or insane. It's, it's his way of thinking that's very, very common to him. Exactly, exactly. Or her. Him, I mean, her. You know, right. Women can do the same thing. That's right. Him or her, they are doing what, um, what, they, what they do. You know, it's just – it's not – as I said, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be evil today. I'm going to do really bad things today. They're going to do things that are, are maybe uh, selfish uh, yeah. and thoughtless, and, but it comes from their character. And, and the only other thing that drives me crazy in, um, in these books and movies is when you know a character is introduced just to be killed. You know, it's like when you watch those, those war movies, uh, John, and, you, and a, a new guy comes in, and right away you say, he's going to get killed. You know, we know he's going right. to get killed. But the only reason he's there is to get murdered. And that's another pitfall that, um, that, that writers sometimes fall into. It, it becomes very apparent why they've introduced a character. They're going to be a victim. Um, and so I try to avoid that as well. Now, is there any topic that you will not kind of get into and, and kind of broach in your writing? Is there something that is kind of off limits to you that, that you won't get into? Um, I can't. I can't think of anything. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I hadn't, haven't done, and probably won't do. Um, I, I don't really, um, you know. Although I would never say never. I mean, I haven't done child kidnapping or child abuse or something like that. I mean, someone once said, you know, something. You can, you can kill a child, or, or you know, but if you hurt a dog or a cat, you're in trouble. And publishers yep. don't even publish the book. Um, so I probably wouldn't, you know write torture scenes of an animal. I also wouldn't write torture scenes of, of a human being uh, just because I don't think I would do them well. It, it's not a question of, um, I mean, if it fits the character, I might do it, but I, I, I will probably never do torture scenes just because I don't think I can do them very well in the same way that I don't think that I do um, action scenes very well. But it's not, it's not because of some moral 
uh, you know, line that I have that I won't cross. Okay. Yeah, and because, you know, there's a lot of authors that, of course, you know, they, there's certain subjects. And, and a lot of it has to do with kids and things like that. But um, is is there a subject that you're kind of working is, is there is there, like, some kind of subject that you've been working on over the years that you just haven't been able to kind of get out, but, you know, you kind of have this book always lying in the wait and you're trying to work on it and try to get it done and it's just kind of elusive? Um, usually I'm pretty good at once I start something, I finish it. But I have started another oh novel uh, about a year ago and I put it aside because another swan was due and I know I'll get back to it but but it's an experimental novel for me because I'm creating a new character a new uh, PI who's much more violent than than any of my other characters and I don't know if that'll work for me but I it's much uh, more noir and dark than I than I usually write so and it's it's kind of to test myself to see if I can pull it off um you know, there are other writers who do the thing so well. Um, you know, so uh, but so I'm I'm just trying to see if I can pull that off, and I, I will get back to it eventually. And I'm even thinking. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Saying I was thinking of doing um, a, kind of a sequel to Second Story Man because the response has been so good, and I have this idea in the back of my head to spin off one of the characters, but I, I don't know if I'll, I'll wind up doing that. Really? So, which character would that be? Well, it would be Hoyt, because he's far more interesting to me. And there's kind of a surprise ending at Second Story Man, which I won't give away. But I could even do a prequel um, if, if I wanted to. But for me, I, I have to form the idea uh, a little bit before I actually start it. Oh, okay, gotcha. So you do have some, yeah, so that, that's the thing, that when you kind of, we're in the middle of writing this book. Did those kinds of things hit you? Like, you know what? I think maybe I'm gonna. I can kind of continue this, and and you kind of have fun with it. And and that's kind of when you start realizing, as a as an author, you know, that you're having fun and doing what you're doing, and it's not just sitting down and work. Because, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, you're an author. Well, if you don't do anything all day, and I'm like, really? Um, you come back over and find out and see how much work that this is to do. Yeah, I mean, I, but still, you know, people who dig ditches, ditch, ditches and, and pick up garbage are a lot, you know, they work a lot harder than, than most writers, and certainly me. Uh, you know, that's that's physical work. But but the difference with writers is we're sort of never off-duty. So, um, you know, I no. have a funny story. That I, a friend of mine was um, uh, came into New York, and she'd been dating this um, writer out in, in Hollywood, who she eventually married, and they're still married, and he's a really big... Uh, uh, writer producer and she said to me she was meeting me for the first time and she said what do you do and I said I'm a writer and she said oh I love writers I dated a writer and I said well, why do you like them she said because if you're sitting there and you have nothing to say and he has nothing to say you don't feel strange because you know he's thinking about something and I said yeah Brooks what we're probably thinking about is what are we going to have for dinner tonight but she thought you know writers are always thinking about their books or their projects or whatever but, um, you know, and let people think that. But often we're just thinking about what we're going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> is that really what you're thinking about is what you're going to have for dinner tonight? I, I, yeah, as a matter of fact, I just it just flashed in my head what I'm having for dinner tonight. So, yes. But now I won't think about it anymore because I know. That's funny. So, 
Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's you know, and it is, but you know, the, but the life of, the, of an author is a weird one, and it's a stressful one because you're only as good as your last book. Um, you know, if you if you kind of write a clunker, and you and then the next book after that, you know, it comes back and really good. Well, now you're gonna have to kind of totally like rebrand yourself again to kind of get people to come back and say, hey, you know, I I, I wrote a clunker, I get it, but okay, now I, I did better. Yeah, I have a great story about that. I have a friend who's written many, many um, uh, novels, suspense novels, um, under, you know, uh, and, but each one of them doesn't do that well, although he gets very large advances, and he's, certain, and he's also written um, nonfiction books. So he wrote this book, and he gave it to me to read first, and I thought it was pretty good, and he gave it, gives it to his agent, and his agent, and a big agent, uh, like one of the top agents, and the agent gives it to um, an editor, and the editor calls up and says, I really like his writing, but I looked at his numbers for the last book, and I can't even make an offer. The, the numbers were so bad. And then he, a few days later, he gets a call from the agent. Um, you know, this uh, company wants to give you um, $200,000 for a two-book deal. So my friend says to himself, wait a minute. One, one editor didn't even want to give me anything, and now this, that's very strange. So he gets a call from the editor, and the editor is you know, telling him how great it is, and he gets off the phone and he says to himself, you know, I think they think I'm a first-time writer. Oh. So, so the next day the publisher calls and the publisher is going on how great he is and how, what they're going to do for him. And he gets off the phone and again he says to himself, I think they think I'm a first-time author, just the way they're talking. So he sits down and he writes an email to his agent. This, you know, in a bad movie you would never believe this. He accidentally sends it to the editor. So the editor reads the thing, and yes, they did think he was a new author. So in order to keep publishing, John, they, had to ma- they made him change his name for this new book. So that's how tough this, this industry is. And when you say you're only as good as your last book, he wouldn't have gotten that series published, except yeah. that they thought he was someone else, and that he, if he agreed to change his name for the, for the cover. So, um, so what you say is absolutely right. It's it's really it's a tough industry, and it's all about sales. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Charles. I want to thank you so much for coming on again and talking to us. It's been great. It's been too long, so we have to kind of shorten that time up. But I'm going to give you the last kind of word to let everybody know where's the best place for people to find out more information about you, give out all your social media and all that fun stuff. Oh well, like I, you don't mean like I should give them my home phone number, right? You can if you want to, but that's on you if you want to answer the phone. It keeps me from writing, but there's charlesalsberg.com, and then there's a henryswan.com website. Um, Or you can just Google me. You'll find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. I'm not crazy about Twitter, but I I love Facebook. So that's Mm -hmm. where people can find me. Gotcha. You like Facebook even though they know all your information now, huh? Absolutely. I have nothing to hide, John. If, if someone's looking, you know, if someone's I do, spying and I'm me, hiding my Facebook. So yeah, they're going to be so bored if they're spying on me, so go ahead. Yeah, that's true, too. All right, Charles, we have a good one, my man, and it was a pleasure to talk with you, and we will talk with you soon. Good luck. Thanks. Thanks a million, John. Take care. All right, bye-bye. So again, everybody, that is Charles Salzberg, and the book is called Second Story Man. Make sure you pick it up now. It is available um, on Amazon in Kindle paperback. So if you want to go and grab it, you can go grab it right now. We are going to be taking a sh- another short break, and we'll be back with our last guest. She is author K.J. Howe, 
and she has uh, followed up her first book, The Freedom Broker, with her next book called Skyjack. So make sure you stick around and listen to that. And in the meantime, here you go. like that little white snake interlude there from uh, like 1989 I believe that that album came out um, so again everybody we want to thank you for listening however wherever and whenever you listen of course make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information and make sure you visit calamonteditions.com and see how they can help promote your book on Twitter uh, so check them out too but now we are joined here with our very good friend KJ Howe and it is very exciting to see the sequel to the Freedom Broker um, which came out, and this is the second now in our series called Skyjack. So, KJ, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I am just fantastic and thrilled to be back with you again, John. 
Yes, I mean, you know, it seemed to take years to get the Freedom Broker out, and then all of a sudden, bam, now we got Skyjack coming out. So you got to tell us a little bit about what you got going in a Skyjack, and then let's start talking about the series a little bit. Love to. Yeah, so Skyjack, and I'm sure the title is very indicative, uh, happens when Thea is on a plane, and she's traveling from Nairobi to London, and she's got two young um, former child soldiers with her and they're headed to their newly adopted home in London when the plane they're on is skyjacked and things go crazy from there. Um, I've explored a few things in this um, new novel and one is that um, there are these state, secret stay behind armies in, from World War II and the CIA and MI6 um, had caches of weapons stashed all over Europe along with soldiers um, just in case there was an uprising of communism they could tamp it down. So there's some proof that uh, these secret armies were in existence up until 2006. So for my book, I extrapolated, and I had an Italian group, the Gladio, go head-to-head with the Austrian group. So it was a lot of fun to write. Mm. And, you know, now, and, this is, and this is part of, you know, it's called the Kidnap and Ransom Thriller series, and your main character is, is uh, Thea Paris. And so it took you a while to write The Freedom Broker. But then when you get your book deal, book two ain't taking as long to write as book one. So how called, is that process deadline, for sir. you? Yeah, so how is that process? Yes. Fantastic. Um, I, my plan is to try and write a book a year now in the series. Um, I'm already hard at work on my third book, um, which mm-hmm. focuses on kidnapped journalists overseas. And um, I think what it was, too, you know, I did extensive research for The Freedom Broker. And, you know, five years worth of kind of – you know, immersing myself in the world, getting to know elite kidnap negotiators, former hostages, special forces soldiers, and a host of other people. So the bottom line is, you know, I feel like I've got that foundation of knowledge now, and I can write with, you know, authenticity. Uh, It's very important for me to get the facts correct, you know, whether it comes to guns or to, you know, the world of kidnap and ransom or the world of diabetes, which my character has. I really want to make sure I get it correct. So research does take time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had Steve Barry on just on Tuesday talking about the Bishop's Mm -hmm. Pond, Jeff and I. And, you know, he, he does a lot of extensive recourse of research, of course, for his books. And David Morrell does a lot of research for his books. In fact, I saw on Twitter where he said uh, he read your book and thought it was great because he, now he's a pilot and he loved the flight scenes. And that's something that you had to kind of research, just something small to that nature. I mean, it's not something that's like at the forefront. You're not researching an idea. You're not researching, you know, uh, a group of people. I mean, this is about flight and something like that. So to make all those little idiosyncrasies kind of you know come together and make them realistic that's a hard part that you're doing especially when it's not something that's common to you i couldn't agree more and i have to say a huge thanks to two authors william scott and james hannibal who were my you know kind of aircraft experts i mean they're both phenomenal james used to be a stealth bomber pilot so i think he's pretty qualified and um bill used to be a test pilot so I love flying. I thought it was absolutely fascinating to learn about it. And I'm a big believer that, you know, when you read for entertainment, an added bonus is when you can put the book down and say, you know, I learned a lot in that book as well as being entertained. And, and you kind of feel richer and, you're, you know, and more knowledgeable from it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and when you have to kind of now go from book one into book two, you learn a lot of lessons, I think, as an author. So what's something that – 
a fan of yours that read the Freedom Broker and now looking at Skyjack, are they going to see a little different KJ Howe? Did you did you change a little things up that you know things that you saw in the Freedom Broker maybe that you wanted to you know uh, accentuate maybe like the setting part of it or the dialogue part of it or something? Is there are they going to see a little different author this time? Absolutely. I, my goal is to try and improve my craft and my storytelling skills in every book. You know, I'm really working hard. Uh, my editor's phenomenal, Nathaniel Maroon is from Kirkus, and you know he's teaching me a lot. So I'm hoping each book will be deeper and more, you know kind of get into different things. And I think the biggest thing I've tried to do is to really enrich characterization in, in Skyjack. Um, I'm a big believer that if you like a character, you'll go with that author anywhere. You know, it, it, once you kind of True. bond with someone, a character. And, you know, when you write action novels, you know, in that kind of thriller-esque feel, sometimes, you know, characterization doesn't get enough attention. So I'm really focused on that, trying to, for people to get to know, you know, the different characters, including Thea. Um, but I have a nice host of characters, and I tried to give each and every one of them a unique personality. You know, and when you're writing book one, you, you, you think that it's going to be a series and you, and you hope it's going to be a series, but you're not really sure how it's going to work out. So how is Thea different uh, in, in Skyjack from the Freedom Broker? I mean, I'm sure events shook her up and changed her 100%. a little bit. And so mm-hmm. how did you have to, you know, how is she progressing now through the book? Well, I, th- I think that, you know, her family, family in general is a theme throughout all of my novels. I think it's a profound one because we can all relate to, you know, having fantastic things in our family, the best of times and the worst of times, right? And maybe people we'd like to, you know, um, not know as closely. But um, it's it's one of those things where I think profound emotions happen. So we really want to explore that. And Thea is kind of reeling because there was a lot of secrets and lies um, kind of cracked open in the Freedom Broker. And she's sort of trying to pick up the pieces to move forward, you know, without giving any spoilers, right? Um, right. So, it, so it's a lot of fun to go richly into that character and to have some good times. And I have two sets of kids in the Skyjack. The two African child soldiers, Ian and Jabari, were a blast to write. They're saucy. They're fun. They're, you know, they're kids, but they're also really mature in a way because they've been through, you know, the war, right, as child soldiers. Um, and, you know, Thea is basically, you know, she's with them in the plane, but then um, – she basically she separated from them so her whole goal is to try and get these kids back along with the other passengers and you know a lot of hoops that she has to you know jump through to get there and then also there's another um couple of kids like 17 year olds that i wrote about johan um, dietrich and and his girlfriend fatima and so it's really interesting because not a lot of thrillers i find have children in them so it was a lot Mm -hmm. of fun to do that and to you know kind of explore that side of things um, David Morrell, who the book is dedicated to and has been a wonderful mentor to me, um, basically, you know, he said to me once that if you're going to spend a year invested in writing a novel, you need to grow and change as an individual during that time. And whether that's, you know, changing as a writer, learning something new, like, you know, in Skyjack, I learned a lot about planes, a lot about history, but the secret state behind armies. And, you know, just tried to improve myself as a writer. And I'm really, you know, gung-ho to keep going on that. You know, explain a little bit about, like you said, like, like, like those armies that you were just talking about. You know, how do you even kind of start researching something that way that is so foreign to probably 98% of the people over here in this country would have really, like, no idea? So how do you even kind of start the process of 
not just wanting them to be in your book, but just try to realize who they are. Sure. Well, I'm always looking for unique and eclectic things to include in my novels because it's fun, right, to have something different. Yeah. Like, for example, even the whole premise of my book, there's only, you know, basically 25 to 30 people in the world who have this elite kidnap negotiator job. And I really wanted to bring to this to the forefront, you know, um, to be something different. You know, there's so many dif- different detectives. There's so many different FBI people. And I just thought I really want to do something outside the box a little. And that's why I spend the time, you know, researching. I'm a big believer that you should do your homework first online, and then you should talk to people that are experts in the field so you can broaden your knowledge and get practical information that is basically live time, right? Like in kidnapping, for example, you know, the world is changing all the time. And it used to be high net worth individuals and executives overseas were the main targets. Not anymore. We're seeing journalists, you know, missionaries, aid workers, and adventurers, you know, going to Nepal, let's say, all are targeting and being targeted now by, by kidnappers. And so this is changing and growing. So this is the kind of information, you know, you can really only get um, by speaking to the actual people who are doing that work. Um, and as far as the history goes, um, it's so much fun because as a former medical writer, I love research and I love digging. So what I do is I find some information and then I keep searching for more. And, you know, you kind of go from extensive lengths to, to get this information, you know, to kind of people with unique skill set that might specialize in that area of history. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it, it is one of those things. I mean, but just to even stumble across them or, or have to think about them, I mean, that's kind of the, the attention to detail that you're putting into your writing. And that's the reason why, that, you know, I was talking about uh, at the beginning of the show. It's It's those little things that get you to be – Someone who sells, you know, 100 copies to 100,000 copies is, is when you're looking at it's those little attention to detail things and, and you're bringing in, you know, those, those types of elements into a book that just give it that much more depth. Now, it's also very difficult to do because, like I said, you know, you have, you, you have a lot of tangents and to kind of get them all together, it's kind of like a spider web at times. And that has to be an, a, an increased challenge for you, you know, coming from the freedom broker into Skyjack and having to do things in such more of a, a, a race to get to the deadline. 100%. You know, you're right. I mean, it's funny because a lot of debut novelists, you know, um, struggle with the second book because, like you said, they have all the time in the world, you know, to write the first one because no one, you know, wants it yet. You know, it's, it's being created. Yeah. But then when you get it a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and then some. Uh, <laughs> and it's probably a good idea because we're in the learning curve, right? And we, we, right. we, I've learned so much from writing the Freedom Broker, you know, that I did try to. Hopefully, I, I feel this guy Jack is a stronger novel because you know if you're if you're doing it right, you'll learn and you'll you know avoid the mistakes you made in the past and and try and keep getting better. Um, and also try something different. You know, I think with each novel, um, for example, I'm going to delve into a different aspect of diabetes because. Thea Paris has type 1 diabetes, and yeah. I don't want to OD on diabetes, you know, because I think it should be there but not, you know, in the forefront at all times, just like in normal life, right, where people are living their lives, but they have this illness, this chronic illness they have to deal with. And I think it's really important, you know, to have Thea as a role model for people with chronic illness that, look, if Thea Paris can go and save hostages across the world, they can do anything as well. 
And I love seeing that there's Olympians now, there's professional athletes, there's, you know, actors, musicians, all super, super successful um, with diabetes. Yeah, being able to control that. But like you said, it is something that can come up in a very harrowing situation, um, and that leads, you know, to have to, you know, shit's got to get done. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, highs and lows, right, with blood sugar. And, you know, also when Thea travels to these really unique places that are, you know, pardon me? It's like carry a Twinkie or something along. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. Maybe that should be your motto. Yeah. (laughs) Carry a Twinkie in in those cargo pants. Yeah. But it's it's critical, you know, to be, I mean, sometimes insulin um, is not available in certain foreign countries or certain, like your type of insulin isn't readily available. So you've got to adjust as you go. And you can imagine, you know, when you're trying to figure out the uh, dosages, when you're going, traveling across different time zones, that's really complicated as well. So it's really interesting. There's so much richness in this that I think can add to the books as well. Now, the one thing that you're, of course, getting involved in a lot of, you know, you're, you've been with Thriller Fest for so many years, so, so you're used to kind of being around and talking with people and, and interacting. But there's a lot of authors that that's very foreign to. I mean, they're just like, I just want to write. I don't want to have to talk to people or do anything like that. But how has that kind of promotional part been? Because now you're not just talking to authors about their books or talking about a conference now you're having to speak to people about your work and people talking to you or critics you know giving you you know critical um uh advice or things like that about your book that's a little different so how has that journey been now going from the freedom broker and now into into skyjack and and seeing how you promoted that one and maybe things are changing and for this so authors were kind of have an idea about you know things that you know do's and don'ts that that maybe you've learned? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think we all learn as we go, whether it's, you know, about your writing skills or, you know, promotional skills. Um, I think the main thing is to be incredibly passionate about your subject matter. I mean, I know it may, may sound a little strange that I'm just very passionate about kidnapping, but I am, you know. I really want to, you know, make awareness out there of the hostages that have yet to come home. I feel like public speaking is a definite skill that you can hone so I would recommend, you know, that people practice and ask for honest feedback when you're, you know, somewhere that doing a talk and uh, try and improve that because clarity and, you know, enthusiasm can certainly go a long way to getting it out there. And um, I think, too, you know, you need to it's, – it's a village that takes, you know, to make a success, right? You need yeah. to rely on friends and help others. Like I've always – done my very best to help every author I meet because I, I really love thriller novels and I love to see people be successful and at Thriller Fest you know we have a wonderful group of uh, success stories on um, from Pitch Fest um, on our website at thrillerfest.com if anyone's interested and you know it's incredible to think of you know people who have like Jamie, Jamie Frevoletti, um, you know she got her agent through Pitch Fest she, she won a yep. thriller award one year and you know she wrote the Ludlum books and now she's like doing really really well so I love seeing and Boyd Morrison also got his agent at um, Thriller Fest yep. and he's co-writing with Clive Kustler so it's just beautiful to see success so anything I can do to help anyone drop me a line and and uh I'm I'm very grateful that many authors, you know, there um that have been incredibly helpful to me like Steve Barry and Dave Morrell and Lee Child. Yeah. I and and that's kind of the and that's kind of what the uh the community of Thriller Fest does. Um I guess outside more of 
other conferences, which Thriller Fest is a lot more author-driven than I guess it is fan-driven, and you have a lot more than, than like a BoucherCon. So you have that community of people that when you get them together, it is a lot of authors, and they're all kind of there. You know, everybody wants to do the same thing. Everybody wants to sell a lot of fucking books. And, <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's just face it. Everybody wants to sell a lot of fucking books. And so they're all trying to get together to figure out how can we sell a lot of fucking books. And that's the great thing like what Thriller Fest is, and it's teaching you how to write a great book because if you don't write one, you're probably not going to sell one. And that's the great thing about those And, John, it's all about the book, isn't it? I mean all about the book because, you know, if you write a good book, people will come back and be loyal as can be. But if if you write a blooper, you know, then, you know, they'll be kind of lackluster and and may not, you know, give you a second chance. So I think you're right. Yeah. And that's why it's incredibly important, you know, to edit and edit and edit until you get to a place where you feel comfortable with the book as it is. Because if you don't, I think it can be very disappointing. Exactly. You know, and for the first half hour of the show, because one of our guests uh, didn't show up, I talked only about editing, where it's funny to me how you, you're so passionate and you so want to be a writer, and then you said, you know, we get thousands of short stories a year sent to us through the magazine, and you can't even spell correctly in your query letter. I know. And a lot of people, a lot of us on the review team, when they get that, and they, they'll write back to me and be like, yeah, I found two spelling errors in the query letter. I didn't even read the story. Because they're like, if you're not going to pay attention to that, your first impression, they're like, I'm not even going to read the story. I don't even care what it's about. It could be the greatest short story ever. I'm not even going to read it because you didn't write your query letter correctly and you misspelled it. But, well, I think it's key. I, I agree with you. It's a, it shows yeah. professionalism. And in these days, when editors and agents are looking for a reason to say no because they're inundated, um, you don't want right. to give them one. You want to give them a reason to say yes. Grab them with a fresh idea. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I've been asked a lot, you know, on the tour and stuff about uh, what advice do you have for aspiring authors? And I think you got to be, like, first of all, like, in it for the long haul because it is a long haul. Everyone who, who's successful is rarely a, an overnight success. And yes. you also have to be immensely passionate about your topic, and especially when you talk series. You know, you have to pick a, something that has a lot of legs. Um, you know, I knew I always wanted to write an inter- international thriller, for example, because I lived all around the world growing up, and it felt really comfortable to me, you know, to have my character go from place to place. And also gives you endless settings, right? So you can have something fresh yeah. there. Um, and then, you know, in kidnapping in general has a lot of different facets to it. I mean, there's like a million different types of kidnapping. So I saw the legs there. So when P- aspiring authors are looking for something, look for a potential for growth, you know, where it's got a lot of legs. Yeah, and, and as you said, like in a series, because the one thing that you have is, you know, you're always going to have your hero and like their secondary characters are going to be constant and you're going to have an underlying storyline that goes with it. But you also have to keep the series fresh because you don't want to have after nine books realizing, damn it, I just wrote the same book nine times. Um, and, and that's the thing that, that you don't want to do because then you start getting into the, to the like, it's like, oh, do I really want to read another one of this? Because I already know what it is. It's like the same thing, you know, and it's difficult. It's like I said at the beginning too, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of series in the way that when, like at the beginning, I love James Bond movies, but the one thing that always irked me about James Bond movies, it was not really irked me, I always found funny, was at the very beginning of every movie, they put him in this perilous situation, and it's like, what's the point 
you know he's going to get out of it. It's just a matter of you're just like wasting the time to get to the story. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, stop with well, that. Well, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I guess they, they look at it as a hook. I'm like, he's hanging from a building. He ain't falling, man. The movie would be over. <laughs> be a very short Bond film. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and so I always find that kind of funny. And so for you as an author, for someone like me to keep reading, and like I like Lincoln Rhyme, and I just read the new Jeffrey Deaver book because he doesn't get involved in those kind of situations very often because he's a paraplegic. He's not going to go on a gunfight. He's not going to go on a car chase. He's not going to do those kinds of things. Um, so I, 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 so I like that because it's a lot more about like the story and whatnot, but you as an author mm-hmm. to get someone like me to keep reading, that's a challenge that you have to do every book. And that's the hardest part I think of writing a series is making sure that you keep it on the fresh side, but you continually surprise people like mm-hmm. the show 24 by maybe killing somebody off that people are like, Whoa, I didn't know that was happening. Exactly. And I think, you know, obviously, like you said, you can't kill, kill off the main character because you want the series to continue. Right. But in Skyjack, I do kill off someone that is surprising the feedback. See? So, yeah, so you're right. I mean, and George R. R. Martin is a perfect example of that. I mean, that man kills off everybody. Oh, he killed he everybody. Dark. Like, say what? Come on. I thought he was going to, Sean Bean right. was going to be the star there. Right. I mean, but yeah. and, and, and when I, and I, and I, and I, and I talked with him a couple like years ago and there was, this series was only supposed to be three books, and I can see him laboring now. And I think he's actually mentioned that in interviews, how he's laboring, because that's why the third book was so explosive when you saw that series and the King Jide. You know, I'm sorry mm-hmm. if this is a spoiler alert. You haven't seen Game of Thrones. I apologize, but too bad. You know, like, you know, like Joffrey dies, and all these things happen in, like, the third season. And then it's almost kind of like he was a – you know, like his own success, like prisoner, and he had to keep going. And it's like you start to see some of those chinks. You can also see him like in Star Wars, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I didn't expect to have to keep going. And then they do keep going. And so you can kind of see those things. And I think fans and, and people realize that if you're not passionate, like you said, about the work. Yeah, you have to be. I mean, I, like yeah. I said, you know, I thought long and hard about my character. I thought long and hard about making her have diabetes. I thought long and hard about the kidnapped yeah. realm because, you know, I think you really have to. And, and if you think, if you ever listen to Lee Child talk, of course, brilliant job on Jack Reacher. He took endless time planning and preparing Jack Reacher. He wanted him to be a loner. He wanted him, you know, to be an outcast with no, like, you know, real address. And, and, and this gave him the freedom to go from place to place and to find things. Because I think sometimes when people have, like, let's say, you know, a detective based in Seattle, it's amazing, but you, you're sort of stuck in Seattle a little bit, right? So you've got to be really creative with the storylines because you don't have that latitude to move around and go places. And that's what I love about the kidnap world. It's so global. It's all over the place, you know. And if you, you know, want to know some of the hot zones, I've got a map on my website at kjhow.com. And just before you're planning your next vacation, John, you might want to take a look. Just make sure you don't choose one of those hot spots. <laughs> no, yeah, hey, you know, we we actually for the first time actually registered with the U.S. Department of State when we went to Thailand and Cambodia just to see what it was. Now we never got one alert, and they never emailed me anything, so you know nothing was going on. But um, that is something that I learned when I was doing uh, training in in our building because we have a big high rise. In fact, we just had an earthquake on Thursday, five point three nice. in L.A., which we felt. Be on the twenty fifth floor and feel an earthquake. That's a new experience. Can I tell you? Little, 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 little scary, been, I guess I, you want to say. I know. I've been on a, in an earthquake, 6.4 in Mexico, and it was really something. There was like 39 aftershocks, and it's, it's really yeah. quite disturbing because you, you feel yeah. so powerless and so, like, vulnerable. Yeah, you can't do anything. 
It's not like you know you're just moving and you can't stop the movement. And I'm on the 25th floor and I'm like, this is this is interesting. I've never, you know, my my chair is literally moving and I can't stop it from moving. I mean, it's just doing its thing and my blinds wow. are going are starting to sway back and forth. And I'm like, you know, this is a little scary. Um, but it was actually pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie, and it was actually pretty cool. I mean, I made out okay, so I was like, that was actually pretty cool. <laughs> you live to tell the story. Love it. Yeah. So that was the first time we ever did the Department of the State thing, and, and I felt like, and I was like, oh, you know, I didn't get any emails, but that is uh, something like you just said, like the hot spots around the world, and you kind of see them and you kind of hear them, um, and it is it is great that you're able to kind of bring those things to life in your books without people having to really experience them firsthand, but the one thing that they got to remember is when they do read those stories like you're writing in Skyjack and the Freedom Broker, people do experience these things at times mm-hmm. and that's yeah, what's I feel freaking like, yeah, right. scary I mean, my life yeah it is scary and my life has truly changed from meeting these folks yeah. you know i mean i've met a lot of brave people who you know kidnap negotiators who go in and risk their own lives you know to help others and the former hostages you know who have survived such harrowing ordeals i mean mm-hmm. you know like peter moore is the longest held hostage in iraq and he's become a good friend and he was held for almost a thousand days and you know, he was subjected to mock executions where they, you know, took him out, blindfolded him, had him kneel down and put a gun to the back of his skull. And then um, he he could feel, the, you know, the, it being cocked. And then he heard a bullet and he thought he got shot, you know, fire off. And what they had done was they had a blank in the gun on his head, but a guy behind him was firing a gun like somewhere else in the sky, right? And so he literally thought he was dead and he got shot. So these kind of, you don't, I mean, how can you even really begin to understand what someone goes through after, you know, surviving something like that? So, yes, I mean, I think that it really gives you perspective and uh, makes me that much more grateful for my freedom. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, KJ, I love talking with you. Great to see here, Skyjack. Great to see you know, that you're on your way and got book three coming out. That's something that I also mentioned is, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, you're talking about Skyjack, but that book was probably done about nine months ago and finished. And now, now you're already on to book three. So kind of, it's kind of weird that you're in the middle of book three and now you kind of have to go back and remember book two and kind of, you know, talk about that as you're, as you're already writing book three. So it's kind of a weird kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing for authors to kind of have to do that, you know, a lot of people probably don't realize it's not, not often though, like I said, unless you're one of those big people like a James Comey, for instance, who all of a sudden is writing a book and it's out that fast. It's like, okay, that doesn't really happen like that unless they're really pushing to get this thing done. It's like these things, these things take progression. And that's what we talked about earlier with the editing. It takes a little progression, a little patience. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, um, you really do have to plan ahead. I've thought of four or five books already, like in this in yeah. the series, you know, ready to roll. And you got so, notes for all of them, I bet. You bet. I'm excited and like pumped to go. And, and I mean, there's like endless possibilities with that world, right? Kidnapping in yeah. different locales and different types. And um, that's what makes it so fascinating for me, because I think the key thing as a writer writing a series is you've got to be enthusiastic about what you're doing and learning so that it'll come across on the page. Yep. Well, the book is called Skyjack, and it actually releases on Tuesday, April the 10th. So if you're listening to the show now, you can pre-order the book, Kindle Hardcover on Amazon, however you want to read it. You can get it now, on, uh, and then April the 10th, it'll show up in your mailbox or show up on your Kindle. KJ, we want to thank you so much for coming on, 
and appreciate it. And hopefully we will see you at Thriller Fest. You're going to be there. You're going to be at BachelorCon this year, too. You're going? I'll be at all, at all locales. You bet. Uh, so you're going to be all around so people can shake the hands, take the pictures, and, and get the autographs. It would be my, my pleasure. And thanks a million for Absolutely. having me on again, John. Thank you so much for calling. Looking forward to it. And congratulations, and we will talk with you soon. Can't wait. All right. Bye-bye. So again, everybody, that is author K.J. Howe. Make sure you visit kjhowe.com for more information on The Freedom Broker and now Skyjack, the second book in the Kidnap and Ransom thriller series to have her character, Thea Paris, um, fantastic. And it's nonstop thriller action. So you like books that, you know, just put you on the, uh, on the train with no brakes and you just keep going. You not know where it's going to end or what it's going to hit. This is where you need to put on your bookshelf right here. So, again, available April the 10th on Tuesday. So run out there, and um, you can go pre-order it now, and it will be in your mailbox or in your Kindle on April the 10th. So we want to thank you all for listening. It has been a great show today. And, uh, again, if you listen to the beginning part of it and you hear about the editing, you just heard these two authors talk about almost the same exact thing that I was just mentioning about. It's very, very, very important. Either you're serious or you're not serious. And if you're not serious, don't waste my time. And if you are serious – then you can come and very much take my time because we'll help you out and do. But if you don't want to do the work and you don't want to you know, invest in yourself, then you're really just wasting people's time thinking that you're going to put this book out there and you're, never, and you're going to put one out there and you're never going to do it again because you're going to be very, very frustrated. So make sure that you're serious about your craft um, because every musician, every artist, every author, anybody who is in this creative world is either serious or not. The serious people you know about, and the talent rises to the crop, and the other people are just footnotes that you'll never hear about again. So until next time, everybody, enjoy, have fun, and keep reading, and we will see you all very soon. Bye-bye.